Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Welcome to episode 3 of Binge List. I'm Gavin Scott, and with Matthew Demby away on holidays, it's up to me and Claire Rigdon to fill you in on all that's happening in free-to-air, pay, and streaming TV. Hi, Claire. Hi. We've got a real mixed bag this week, from singing competitions to a gory period piece to action in space to a beloved sitcom. So let's get into it and head off to Portugal. It's all about Eurovision at the moment, and as we speak, the first semi-final has already happened, and we're eagerly awaiting Jessica Malboy's performance in semi-final two. And it used to be a real cult experience, Eurovision in Australia, but now it's become something of a national obsession. I mean, that always happens when Australia starts competing in something. Everyone takes it really seriously. (laughs) We love it. Yes. And it has helped that we've had some really good songs. We've gone the way of having, you know, serious competition instead of getting grandmas to bang big drums or something like that. (laughs) Claire, you love a bit of cheese. Are you a Eurovision fan? Oh, yeah. Like, if it's cheesy, I'm so there for it. Um, Yeah, like, I've been watching Eurovision since I was a kid, actually. I grew up in the UK and it was... um, it was it was a big thing in the in the in the eighties. Uh, Terry Wogan was host, and yeah, um, my family used to get amongst it. But I feel like it wasn't until I reached my twenties that I fully embraced it for the cheese festival that it is. I used to go to like viewing parties with my friends where we'd all dress up. We'd pick a country and all dress up as a country, and then go along and bring that country's national dish. So there was a lot of like little tiny sausages on sticks, and me with a tea towel on my head, and. It was it was very much less about the actual songs and the competition and more about just like ripping everyone a new one as we watched it over a couple of glasses of wine. <laughs> I don't know about you, Gavin, but yeah, that was always entirely the point for me. Oh, uh, see, for the point for me is always about the songs, and yeah, I love all the stuff that goes on, and and you know, yeah, Terry Wogan's commentary was amazing. But I, I am very serious about the songs to to the point where I would have viewing parties and make everyone score. I'd have a. Vi- oh my god! I'm so glad I never went to any of your viewing parties. <laughs> we all enjoyed it. We really did. Um, people had to had to vote forty points for performance, forty points for songs, and twenty points for that certain je ne sais quoi. Because let's face it, oh. the je ne sais quoi is what makes Eurovision Eurovision. Whether it's contortionists oh on stage. The backing dancers forming the shape of the number one on the floor. Actually, yeah, that stuff is awesome. It is. is. Ripping off skirts. Shut up with your scoring system, Gavin. Jesus. (laughs) And it's not Eurovision without someone's skirt being ripped off. (laughs) Yeah, totally. And and also uh, not ripped off intentionally. There's been a lot of awesome sort of wardrobe malfunctions over the years. Indeed, indeed. And you can, you can. this is called the binge list, and you can binge Eurovision now that there's two semifinals and a final. You can go back to back to back and watch one after the other, or you can watch them live, of course. And now um, SBS have Australian hosts for the last few years. We've had Julia and Sam, and now we've got Joel and Miff hosting. We used to get the Terry Wogan commentary. Now, now we have our own hosts, Claire. I miss Terry. I, I, miss do miss, I do miss Terry. What do you think of the Aussie hosts, Claire? 
Oh, look, I I was always a huge fan of Sam Pang and Julia Zemiro. They're just hilarious and they're awesome. So it kind of took a little bit of a shift in my brain to get used to Miff and Joel. But to be honest, I feel like Miff Warhurst can do no wrong. Like I've loved her in everything. I listen to her on Double J because I, I do a lot of work from home. So, you know, her little voices in the background there. And, you know, I've lo- I loved her on Spicks and Specs, which keeps getting rerun on ABC too. Yeah, so I feel like she's the perfect fit. I'm not, look, I don't want to be a Biarche, but I'm, I'm not 100% on board with Joel. Like, but I think he needs to bet into the role a bit. Like for me, Sam Pang was just hilarious and a really good fit as well. What Maybe it'll take that? Joel. Maybe it'll take Joel a few years to to settle into it. One of the highlights of the show for me is the voting. People hate that part because it goes on forever, no matter how, <laughs> no, no matter how how much they try to speed it up. But it's always fun seeing neighbours voting for neighbours, enemies not voting for each other. And I think that's also why Australia does okay because we don't have enemies, and everyone kind of likes us, so they probably throw a few votes our way. Yeah, yeah, totally. I, it, it's like its own little Cold War negotiation. You know, there's always someone that's like, nil poir for Poland. I, I feel like we do get a few sympathy votes, but I also feel like Australia's had some really solid performers and some fantastic songs. Like like Isaiah last year did, never, didn't really land on my radar, but the year before Dammy's song, which SBS promoed the bejesus out of, was just really good. It was like a really good song. Yeah. And it got commercial airplay and everyone had their little dammy army hats on. And and she was robbed. So, yeah, she was robbed, absolutely. But then I guess in some ways it's like, well, what happens if she had one? Does everyone have to come to Australia and how is that going to work with time? Does that mean the whole of Europe is going to have to stay up in the middle of the night like we do? <laughs> to watch it. I, I feel like um, a few years ago it was decided that maybe Germany would host if we won. So I'm, I'm, not sure oh. if, I'm not sure if that's still the case. One of the big five with all the money who get straight through to the final. Um, yeah, I'm down with Germany. I, I like a curry verse sausage. <laughs> so, so, um, yeah, I'm not sure what will happen, but I guess we'll wait and see if Jessica brings it home when Eurovision. Yeah, Eurovision she's finale. unreal though. Like how great's Jess? Um, I think she's a fantastic representative of Australia. She also can belt out a banger. But I don't feel like I've heard much of this song. Like maybe it's because I don't listen to a heap of commercial radio. But, yeah, what do you what do you think of the song, Grab? I don't mind it. it it's not as good as Demi's song. Um, but, yeah, I, I don't mind it. And it, it's doing really well in the odds. I think she's placed third in the bookies' oh, odds to, really? to take it out. Um, so people are seeming to like it. And, you know, who knows, by the time people are listening to this podcast, she may already have won. Oh, yeah. And how? just side note, how amazing did she look in that little red dress on the, red, on the blue carpet or whatever it was the other day? Oh, my God. She's such a goddess. Love it. Well, fingers crossed for Jess. Binge List, brought to you by Who Magazine. So from the present day in Europe, we now go to European history, specifically British history. And if, like me, you're a bit foggy on your 17th century English history, Gunpowder is the perfect show for you. Currently airing on BBC First, as the name suggests, it's about the gunpowder plot when a bunch of guys got together trying to kill King James I in the midst of all that Protestant-Catholic conflict. Now, if you're a fan of Game of Thrones, gunpowder is good news for you because it means Kit Harington is back on TV. That's right, Jon Snow. Not as Jon (laughs) Snow, but he kind of looks the same. I think there's room for a show that does history seriously instead of as a soap or as some edgy recreation, and gunpowder does that. But, um, yeah, it does take a while to tell its story. Claire, what did you think of Gunpowder? Oh, my God. It's like, come on. I mean, 
Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna put myself out there and own up to the fact that I'm not a massive Game of Thrones fan. And then all of a sudden, everyone in the country is gonna be like, "I'm out of this podcast. This this chick doesn't. She's shit." <laughs> but anyway, um, yeah. So I don't really understand the fascination with Kit Harrington. Like he's yeah, he's you know I do love a period drama, and I love a I love a guy in doublet and hose. Like we all we all love that. But I, I just. I kind of feel a little bit like this show is a bit of a vehicle for him and it takes a really long time, in my view, to get going and to go anywhere. Like, I was actually familiar with the gunpowder plot. Um, again, growing up in the UK, everyone celebrates Guy Fawkes Night, which is the 5th of November, when you let off, like, seriously dangerous little fireworks <laughs> in your backyard and, and hope that Dad can, like, point it away from your face. But, um, yeah, like, I didn't, I don't know heaps about the story, but I had a basic knowledge of it. Yeah, so I was kind of interested to see how this goes. Like, the thing that really stood out for me was the fact that it is super mega gory in one scene in particular. Gavin, yes. I, you'll know you'll know the scene I mean. There's, there's, a, there's a scene where one of the um, Catholics is getting basically hung, drawn and quartered. Like, have you heard of that phrase before, Gav? I have heard the phrase, but now I know exactly what it looks like. Thanks yeah, to yeah, scene. so you know exactly what being hung, drawn and quartered is. So basically it is horrific. I mean, you get pulled limb, limb for limb and there's an audience of people cheering Baying. it on. Baying oh for your God. blood. And, I, and I, did... I feel like this scene went for hours. Like it was unnecessarily disgusting in my view. What do you reckon? Yeah, I, I agree. The That execution scene was dragged out. I think the whole first episode was dragged out. They essentially spent 50 minutes establishing Kit Harrington's character's motivation and they probably could have done that in about 10 and got, yeah. got on with it. Maybe instead of three episodes it could have been two, but it's funny what you say about it being a vehicle for Kit because he co-developed it and is an EP on the show. And part of me thinks that's because he didn't have to cut his hair so he could just yeah. play. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, you know, I did a bit of research, Gav, and do you know why he is a co-creator? Or I don't know if it's why necessarily, but he, get this, he is actually related to the character that he plays, Catesby, who was one of the uh, plotters. He, yeah, I don't know how he discovered this. Maybe he did an episode of Who Do You Think You Are or something. <laughs> And, uh, but it turns out that his mother's maiden name is Catesby and his Kit Harrington's middle name is Catesby, which is just so weird. Like, what? So it's anyway. basically his way of yeah, acting out his family history. Yeah, I read a quote that says, I was very reticent to play him for the very reason you might ask, were you playing your own ancestor? Well, yeah, like, but so why did you say yes to this? <laughs> like, why did you say yes to playing the main character, Kit Harrington? Why not just executive producer? Anyway, anyway, I look, you can probably tell I didn't love this. A lot of critics are raving about it, though, so I don't know, maybe it's just me. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's very serious in it. It's another earnest role for him. I don't think he's really breaking out of that, that Jon Snow mould. Who I did like in it was Liv Tyler. with some. Oh, yeah. She had some great Princess Leia hair going on, but she was quite compelling. <laughs> she is good in a period piece, I think. She does look good in a kind of corset and bustier. She's actually really good in this. She's, yeah. she's very watchable. I feel like I want to see more of Liv. So overall, yeah, it, it, not a bad show. And if you like history, you will like it. But be prepared to, you know, be in for the long haul. Have a vomit. <laughs> Have a vomit and be in for the long haul. Oh, yes. Binge List. Brought to you by Who Magazine.
Can you believe we're up to season nine of Modern Family? It seems like it's been off the air for a long time and there's a reason why it's shifted network. It was on Channel 10 and it's now on 7. And you can conveniently binge it on 7+. When the show first arrived in 2009, we'd never seen anything like it. But the years have rolled by. How are you finding the new season, Claire? Uh, I, I love a bit of Modern Family and I always kind of have. It feels weird that it's nine series have gone by. Like, I mean, I guess we're watching, literally watching the younger cast grow up and reach puberty before our eyes. But, look, I, I have to say I didn't love the first episode of the new series. Um, basically, it's all about the family going on this big extended family holiday on a houseboat on a lake somewhere. So they're kind of taking them out of their, um, you know, natural environment, I guess, their suburban home. And it didn't. It felt a little bit like that. Remember that episode where the Bradys go to Hawaii? Yeah. <laughs> and you're like, what the hell is this? just like an excuse for them all to go on holiday um <laughs> I, it, it felt i was like oh god is this like is this the episode where it officially you know does a fonzie and jumps the shark um i i literally ha- happy days went to hawaii too didn't they or something and he like got on a water ski and fonzie got on a water ski and literally i was like no i'm not in for this but i persevered and watched the second episode and i was like oh it's completely back to normal they're back home they're, they're, alex is off to uni you know, we're looking at her character and every it just instantly fell straight back into its old kind of pattern and humour. And so I think maybe it was just because they took everyone out of out of their environment, maybe. I don't know. What did you think, Gav? Yeah, there's definitely something to be said for sticking with what you do well. You know, if, if it ain't broke, don't fix it, that kind of thing. I mean, Modern Family yeah. has done these um, holiday episodes before. They came to Australia after all. But I agree, I didn't love the Australia episode either. And no. the reason we love Modern Family is because it's seeing the characters, you know, just go through their day-to-day lives yeah. and, and things like that. What we, I think we need to remember as well is that this show cranks out 22 to 24 episodes a season. So after nine seasons, it's huge. And after nine seasons, that's a lot of episodes. So there's going to be quality peaks and dips. And I yeah. think to have got to season nine and still have laugh out loud episodes every so often is, is pretty good. The episodes I look out for are the ones written by Danny Zuka, who is one of the producers. He's incredibly funny. He's really good on Twitter. If you don't follow him, you should follow him on Twitter. He gets into all sorts of Barneys with Donald Trump. Oh, amazing. And his, ep- <laughs> his episodes are always the best of the season. Um, so, so I that- love that you even, like, know which ones are his. Do you, like, fully, like, freeze frame it on the on the credits? <laughs> Well, because, yeah, the, the credits, I'm watching the credits go through and then they get through all the shows, 20 million producers, and then they finally get to who wrote it. And if it's him, I'm like, yes, mind you, I'm <laughs> five minutes in by that point. But the the other thing that decides how good an episode is for me is which characters it focuses on. Because with a cast that big, there are characters you're going to like, there are characters you're not going to like so much. And depending on who's focused on or which characters they've put together, that determines... Um, how good the episode is for me. And I've yeah, got, right. I've got a bit of a list, Claire. You know I love a list. Oh, <laughs> of course you do, Gavin Scott. You love a list. My favourite Modern Family uh, characters from best to worst. <laughs> Number one, Phil. Then Claire. Yep. Then Haley. Then Lily. No. Then, stick with me. Then Gloria. Then Mitchell. Then Jay. Then Luke. Then Joe. Then Alex. Then Cam. Then Manny. Disagree with that, Manny. Manny laughed. Are you kidding me? Oh my god, Lily is for me like the most 
annoying character. Like she's getting slightly less annoying, but she's such a little sassy child actor, in my opinion. I'm sure I, she's a lovely person. But, I, I um, love the snark, and I love how she, yeah, kind of sasses back to Mitchell and Cam. And I think she, I think she's underutilized. But oh the- no way! I think Manny's underutilized. He's my favorite Hollywood man child. <laughs> <laughs> But it, it's definitely like a, a comfy old pair of slippers, modern family. If, if you think about yeah. what Friends was like when it was in season nine, it was still good. You still liked seeing those characters who you'd watched all these years. But yeah, it, it wasn't always as hilarious as it used to be. And I think modern family's like that. You sit back, enjoy it. Yeah, that's true. But there's no, I mean, in my opinion, there's absolutely no excuse for shows. It doesn't matter how long they're on for to get unfunny. I mean, there's, there's a wealth of fantastic writers doing the rounds in Hollywood. You know, you'd think that they would just, a show like Modern Family would attract the best of the best, and I think it does. I mean, you look at Curb Your Enthusiasm, which came back after a hiatus of, what, 10 years or whatever, and it is still hilarious. I mean, you look at the later episodes of Seinfeld. Hang on, maybe this is just a Larry David thing. But, uh, <laughs> like, you look at those shows and they're still really, really good all these years later. Arrested Development, like, yeah, so I feel like actually there's no excuse for Modern Family to not maintain its level of, you know, to be fantastic because it, it and it should be, and it is, it is, let's face it, it's great. I, I enjoyed it. Yeah. Well, we'll, and we'll let's just hope there's no more like houseboat episodes <laughs> in the future. We'll keep our eye on it. Binge List, brought to you by Who Magazine. To binge or not to binge? That's the question. Now, this week we've got two shows you might be interested in. First up is a show that our co-host, Matthew Demby, is very interested in. Lost in oh, he loves it. He does. Lost in Space on Netflix. And uh, Netflix has gone where lots of people have gone before, reimagining a classic science fiction franchise. Many of us grew up watching reruns of the Camp 1960s original, which was very much in the vein of Adam West's Batman, played for laughs and earning most of its following among young kids. Let's maybe not talk about the 1998 film version starring Matt LeBlanc. That failed on just about every level. <laughs> yeah, can we not? <laughs> <laughs> and Lost in Space is back for 2018. Now, Matthew is so into it, he binged it all in one weekend. Claire, what, <laughs> what did you think? Were you as keen? Oh, first of all, can we just, like, bag out on Matt since he's <laughs> not here and going, oh, get a life, dude. No, no. I, I, look, I know Gavin and I have spoken about this before. We both did exactly the same thing with this. We, we wanted to watch it because we wanted to be able to talk to Matt about it when we recorded this. But um, I watched the first episode in Fast Forward. Oh, the beginning scene is really great and it has a lot of promise. It looks a little bit Steven Spielbergish from the 80s-ish. Um, the sets are fantastic. There's a really strong cast. It's got Parker Posey in it, who just can do no wrong, in my opinion. And it's also got that guy that is from, um, oh, he, he looks a bit like Brody from Homeland. What's his name, Gav? I can't remember. Anyway, he's the dad. He's great as well. But this this show just kind of went at like a literal, the first episode went for me at a literal glacier speed. Like there's one of the characters gets stuck in the eye and it's like, She's in the ice for like the entire episode, and you're like, "Is she out? Of no, she's still in the ice." And then like five, no, yep, she's still in. No, she's still in the ice. We still haven't got her out of the ice. And like, if Matt was here right now, he would interject and go, "Oh no, but it's amazing, and you got to keep watching." But for me, if something doesn't grab me from the first two seconds, I'm out. I can't. Sorry, I didn't love it. 
It, it did drag on. And what surprised me, you mentioned Parker Posey, who is the new incarnation of Dr. Smith, the villain. Um, and we don't see her until the last five minutes of the episode, which, you know, I do love a twist at the end of the pilot. Yeah. Things like that. It's like, oh, here's your villain. But if you've got Parker Posey, use her. Don't leave her. You know, get viewers in by using her. Yeah, I didn't really get that. And, and also having not seen the original... Um, because I'm very, very young. No, I'm not, but I'm like five years <laughs> younger than you guys. Um, 21 I, again. Yeah, I, nev- I never really watched it. And so I was sitting there watching the, the, the preview of it and my husband walked in and went, oh, oh, lost in space. Oh, well, we, we all know what happens. I mean, like, oh, oh. And I just kind of like walked through the room and just went, oh, this is weird. So he kind of had a frame of reference for the show, whereas I just totally didn't. And I was like, what is happening? Who is this Dr. Smith? And, and yeah, I, nah, I didn't love it. You know, we might be the only ones, Claire, because it is very popular. A second season is on the way. It's one of the most downloaded shows on iTunes, apparently. And it does look good. The effects look great, things like that. Um, it, it clearly had a lot of money spent on it. But the thing that confuses me is, is it a show for the family? It's obviously got young kids in the cast. Yeah. So it feels like it should be a family show, but then it's really quite dark um, yeah. and a bit edgy. So I'm like, who are you aiming for here? But uh, I, I think- kind of liked that, though, because a lot of the shows that we grew up watching – you know, I feel like, you know, I have a little kid and I watch a lot of children's children's content and I feel like everything's kind of gone a bit happy. But, um, you know, when we grew up, there was, some, there was some dark shows out there for children. Even, you know, like even the Magic Roundabout, it was a little bit like the creators had dropped an E or taken some acid before the right episode of it. So, yeah, that, that didn't bother me quite so much. Uh, but... Yeah, I just, um, I actually think we might be the only people in the world that don't like this show, Gav. Maybe, maybe. So um, if Matt was here, he would say binge. From Claire and I, it's a no binge. Now, our second to binge or not to binge show is Love on Netflix, which, Claire, I think you do love. Yeah, <laughs> yeah look, I love, 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 love. Like, it's really, it's a great show. Uh, for those that haven't discovered this yet, it stars Gillian Jacobs and Paul Russ as Gus and Mickey, who are two pretty ill-matched people who fall in love. They're the three series that have, um, so the third series has recently dropped on Netflix and it's the final. So if you've been watching for the first two series, you're going to want to be invested to find out whether um, Gus and Mickey get their happily ever after. Look, after two series, I feel so invested in this and I actually feel quite sad that it's wrapped up now because the, it's been really fascinating watching them fall in love. This this series, I think we should point out, is from Judd Apatow, who is 40-year-old virgin and super bad and what else? Oh, he's done. This is 40. This is 40 and Knocked Up, like all yeah. those movies that you love and that are a little bit cringy and gross and awesome. Um, he his, his footprints are all over this, which is really, really interesting. Um because usually he just works in in, in film, um, so really, essentially, this is something like a, you know, this is a this is a film played out over three series. I don't know how many hours that would be, probably like twenty or something like that. Um, and it, it works for me. It, it's so great because that's the frustrating thing about a lot of his films is that you want to know more about the characters. But yeah, what did you think, Gap? 
I haven't watched Love yet. It, it's on my list on Netflix. You know how you, how you can add things to your list? Yeah, it, yeah. It's been on my list for about, I don't know, as long as I've had Netflix. But my issue with, with Judd Apatow films is that they go for so long. As, as comedy films, they should be like an hour and a half, but he loves a two-and-a-half-hour comedy to drag it out. So I wondered if Love was his way of going, right, okay, I, I can't have a seven-hour um, comedy film. I'm going to do it on TV. A little bit about this. Paul Rust, who plays Mickey, is the other um, creator of this series, and it's loosely based on his relationship with his um, wife Leslie Arfin, who is quite um, a famous sort of um, person in the in the states. She's a very interesting um, woman. You should give her a Google. But um, yeah, look, I mean, just for me, that's entirely the point of this series: is giving the characters the space to grow and to follow their journey because it's almost like you're voyeuristically watching someone's relationship from the outside and you get to do it with your own friends, you know, and you're kind of going, oh, why did you pick that guy or, you know, whatever. But you kind of, in, in the way that you get quite invested in your good friends' relationships, you feel quite invested in Gus and Mickey. And just speaking specifically about the third season, which is excellent, by the way, it really finds its pace in the second half and all sorts of things start happening to put a spanner in their potential happily ever after. But the really interesting thing about the third series, and I'm sure if you've watched it that um, people listening to this will agree, is that you, you, we always assume through the first two series that Gus is the lovable to get, has his stuff together kind of rock to Mickey, who's a bit of a hot mess. She's a, in drug and alcohol counselling and she's, you know, she's a bit of a loose unit. Well, actually, you sort of find out by the end that perhaps it's the other way around and perhaps Mickey is the one that is there to help save, in inverted commas, um, uh, Gus, really. And I loved that. It also stars a fantastic Aussie actress and comedian, Claudia O'Doherty, um, who's great. And so there's lots of, by the third series, you feel equally invested in all the side characters. So, yeah, for me, this is this is fantastic Worth discovering, binge. Binge, binge, binge. Maybe I will have to take it off my list and actually watch it. (laughs) Binge List, brought to you by Who Magazine. And we finish off this week with our hidden gem, as we do every week. This week, it's Next of Kin on SBS and SBS On Demand. Now, I've watched the first couple of episodes of this, and there's six in total. So you can either watch it as it's airing on SBS, or you can wait and binge it all on SBS On Demand at the end. And it's about a Pakistani English family who are gathering together to welcome their brother Kareem home from Pakistan, where he's been working doing relief. He's a doctor. On the way to the gathering in London, his sister Mona sees a bomb blast in the distance. There's been a terrorist attack. Then Kareem doesn't make it back from Pakistan, and his son Danny, who everyone thought was in London, is nowhere to be found. Are the family involved in the terrorist attack? Or just innocents caught up in the situation? And what has happened to Kareem? There's more going on than it seems, and as Mona tries to work out what has happened, she heads to Pakistan and worries she's being set up. So it's part family drama, part terrorism thriller. It's a good mix of socio-political commentary and emotional drama. And the best thing about it is Mona is played by Archie Punjabi, who you'll know from The Good Wife as Kalinda. Yeah, she's awesome. She is great, and it's great to see her in a lead role. She's been in The Good Wife, she's been in The Fall as these excellent supporting characters. In fact, you know, she won an Emmy for The Good Wife, which, you know, was a little bit of a bone of contention perhaps. <laughs> yeah. If you, if you believe, if you believe um, all, all the rumours about her and Juliana Margulies. But it's great seeing her in the lead, and it's a more subtle performance than Kalinda. She's not walking around smashing people's cars with baseball bats and wearing thigh-high <laughs> boots. But she's re- yeah, she's really good in it, really watchable. Her husband is a favourite of yours, Claire, Jack Davenport. Oh, yeah! 
Miles I, from this oh, life. Gavin, <laughs> Gavin and I have spent many, many a, an hour over the years discussing our love for the seminal, is that the right word, um, British drama from the 90s, This Life, where Jack, that Jack starred in. That was his kind of, that was the role, that was his breakthrough role. Yeah. It, I, I love him. He's just fantastic, isn't he? Is he good in this? He's good. I found him a bit stiff in this. I didn't think he was the right oh. casting for this. I don't know if, like, you know, he's been in the Pirates of the Caribbean movies. He's, he's done all sorts. Oh, yeah, that's right. Hollywood and UK. But, yeah, for some reason I, I didn't quite find – he didn't quite gel in this for me. He'll always be miles from this life to us, though. That's he? right. He'll always be miles. <laughs> that's right. Miles and Anna. Oh. Um, oh. Anyway, back to Next of Kin. It's a good show. It, it's, um, yeah, definitely, you know, there are a few plot things where you kind of go, really? But, you know – what show about terrorism doesn't have that 24 homeland? There, You have to suspend your disbelief in shows like this. Those shows make me super anxious. Oh, for sure, for sure, because, you know, oh, my gosh, if it could happen to them, it could happen to me. And it, yeah. yeah, yeah. But it is a good, if you like that kind of stuff, it, it's a good show, so get binging. That's it from us this week. Thanks, Claire. Oh, thanks. I've been chatting to you live from my kitchen. Yay. <laughs> and Matt is away again next week. So it's just you and me next week oh, when we'll be talking about jealous. Olivia. Oh, Olivia. Oh, I can't wait. Will the wigs be bad? Oh, no. <laughs> See you then. Binge List. Brought to you by Who Magazine. 